Our scripture reading today is found in Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 23. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And in that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he gave sight, and he answered them. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind have received their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. It was a little over a week ago, and there was a couple in our church who invited me to come out to their house to pray for them. Um, The wife, uh, Young, uh, 25 years married to Paul, She had been battling cancer recently, and the whole church had been praying for her. The campus had been praying for her, and frankly, the cancer took a turn for the worse. And so as I was driving out, you know, we've been spending some time here at Christ Community walking through the gospel account of Luke. And so even my heart and my mind has been primed by the the story after story after story of the amazing things that God is doing through Jesus, and then when you go to the book of Acts, the ways that he can do something truly astounding in and through his church. And so in the back of my mind, as I'm driving out on a Tuesday night, I'm thinking about all the ways that God could really use this as a moment with family and friends present to do something astounding. And so I I pull up to the house, I go up to the door, and in the back of my mind, seriously, I, I had never been more primed in my life than in this particular moment to expect God to do something astounding to heal. But then I looked in the door and I knew something wasn't right. Paul invited me in and everybody was crying, weeping. Paul looks me in the eyes and he says, Gabe, she died 45 minutes ago. And while everyone was reeling In that moment, people were looking to me, a pastor, right? To come with answers, to come with a moment of prayer, and of course we did that. But then as I got back in my car, I broke down. Because there in that moment when I was expecting God, instead what I found was death. And just transparently, it's been a minute, y'all, since I got in my car and was driving from like a pastoral situation where I just wept most of the way home. And I cried out, where were you in this Jesus? You could, you could have done something. But you didn't do what I expected you to do. And no matter who you are and where you are in your spiritual journey, if you've started exploring Jesus, then you've probably been disappointed by him. You read a scripture at some point or You really believed that God was going to intervene for any number of good reasons, right? But what you experienced, it didn't match up with what you expected. 
and it led to a deep sense of disappointment. Now, for some of you, that's taken shape in a lot of different ways. You were looking for a job, maybe a better job, to take care of your needs or the needs of your family, or maybe you're just looking for a job, period, and that has yet to produce itself. Maybe for some, you're looking for that special someone. You've gone on date after date after date, and, and you don't seem to find that match, and you're waiting on God to bring that person, but it's, it's growing in disappointment. Maybe for some of you, it's a personal sickness that you're wrestling through. Maybe it's the sickness of a loved one, or in the midst of all of this with the coronavirus, when it's, when it's impacting the global markets and even just our relationships with one another, the, the isolation that it breeds, when you're expecting God to do something and it doesn't match your experience, you find yourself staring disappointment and maybe even despair in the face. And it's disorienting. And you ask yourself, where do we go from here? The longer you chase after Jesus, hear me, the longer you chase after Jesus and the real Jesus, not this tailor-made Jesus, not a Jesus that fits specifically my preferences, my cultural lenses, but actually the real Jesus who challenges us and we rediscover who he is, the more often you're going to find yourself asking the question, Jesus, are you the one or should we look to another? Jesus, are you the one or should we look to another? And if you've never asked that question, rest assured, you will. It's only a matter of time because the world is too broken and Jesus is too beautiful to not feel that dissonance at some point in your life. And if you are wrestling with that question today, I want you to know you're in really good company. Because real faith, it doesn't shy away from questions. Real faith, it's not scared of doubt and fear. Real faith has the courage to bring those questions to Jesus and to wait on his answers. And more often than not, sometimes that means waiting in silence. And what's so exceptional, exceptional about our text today is that we find one of the most iconic characters in Jesus' life who's wrestling with this very question, John the Baptist. There's a series of events in his life that lead to his own personal disappointment. And the real gift of this text is that in his wrestling, we're given a window into how we can wrestle with our own disappointments. So where do we go from here? How do we do this? Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, beginning here in verse 18. Let me give you a little context. John, just as way of review, his whole life is basically a precursor to someone else. And what's so fascinating about Luke's gospel account over against Matthew and John is that Luke leans hard into the story of John. Mark gives us a little bit here at the beginning of his gospel narrative, but Luke really gives us an extended introduction. You see, Luke, he doesn't start with Mary being visited by an angel who comes to announce the birth of a savior through her. No, 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 no. Luke starts actually with an angel coming to Zechariah in the holiest place in the world, the Holy of Holies, where God's presence is uniquely felt. And he comes to Zechariah and he says, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, is pregnant with a child and his name will be John, even though you guys are way past childbearing years. I mean, can you imagine John's whole life being set out before him before he's even born? 
and everybody knows his story. He's to be full of the Holy Spirit. He's to lead a revival among Israel such that the Lord God can come and be among his people again. I mean, just imagine John growing up, right? Whenever he loses his temper or is a little disobedient, and his parents are like, John, remember where you got your name? Yeah, mom. Like there's like this whole situation where his whole life is laid out before him. And what's astounding is that he leans pretty, pretty strongly into this calling. He gives everything in his life to what he's been called to. I mean, he's in the middle of the wilderness in a near starvation diet, taking some bugs and giving them a sprinkle of honey. He, he wears clothes that even the Salvation Army would turn away. He gives everything in his life to prepare for the one who is to come. I mean, his message is one of righteousness and God's judgment is at hand and no one's off limits. His shout from the wilderness touches everyone to political leaders like Herod who live with a lack of integrity, to the Pharisees and the hypocrisy. And you can't even just say, well, I'm Jewish, so I'm in. He says, no, if you wanna be a part of what God's doing in the world, it requires repentance, returning to him turning away from your wicked ways and now aligning yourself with what he's doing in the world. And the symbol that that is to portray that takes on life is the symbol of baptism. And so there comes a point where John, he's baptizing and he's announcing the, the coming of the kingdom. And we see in Luke chapter three that Jesus comes to the edge of the bank and they're standing in the reeds. John and Jesus catch eyes. Now, what I love about Matthew's account is that Matthew really portrays the unworthiness that John feels in that moment. Like, who am I to baptize you? And yet Jesus says, John, baptize me. And so Jesus comes in the water. You just see John looking at Jesus' eyes, or you can imagine it. And, and as he begins to plunge Jesus down into the Jordan and pulls him up, we read in Luke chapter 3 that the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in bodily form. It looks like a dove. Is this illustration, this metaphor that's used. And then a voice from heaven says, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And John, he sees all of this. He, the testimony of John is abundantly clear. John is to come to baptize with water, but the Messiah is to come to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And he's here in Jesus. The Messiah has come. All of his life's work, everything that he sought to do to prepare the way for Jesus has been fulfilled in this one. And then a little time passes. And that's where we find John here, in prison. Wrestling through, wait a second, who is this Jesus? Wrestling through some disappointment. And so he brings together two of his messengers, two of his disciples as messengers, and he says, I want you to go to Jesus, and I want you to ask him this question. And this is really the focal point of our passage we see that because the question is repeated in such proximity, first in verse 19 and then in verse 20, where John says, I want you to go to Jesus and I want you to ask him this question, okay? I want you to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Are we to look for someone else? Because listen, I, I see that there's a lot of things going on. 
I see that there's a lot of things going on. We see in John chapter 7, verse 18, that the disciples of John reported all these things to John, all that Jesus has been doing from, ver from chapter 4 to chapter 6, right? That he's in his hometown in Nazareth, and he declares in Isaiah 61 that the good news would be proclaimed to the poor, that the year of Jubilee would come, that there's going to be healing that happens, that there's going to be this great reversal. And he, then he sits down and he says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then he gathers together 12 leaders to represent the 12 tribes of Israel, this renewal movement, and he gives his State of the Union address there in the, 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 the Sermon on the Plain, and he's gone about healing people, the, the, the Roman centurion servant and the widow's son he raises from the dead. All of this has been told to John's disciples, and they've been seeing it happen firsthand, and they bring it back to John, and they tell him, and he's like, but yeah, and that's great, and all of that's true in Isaiah 61, but there's still Rome, there's still Herod sitting on his throne, there's still oppression and injustice, and guess what? In Isaiah 61, it also says that those who are wrongly imprisoned will be free. So Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we look to someone else? Are you really the Messiah? Or have I wasted my whole life? Have I made a terrible mistake? We can so easily look at these biblical characters and make them into flannel graph rather than allow us to sit in the existential angst that John as a real human being called to this point in time is actually feeling. And it's rich and it's deep. But how, if you're anything like me, you've asked the question or at least pondered the question, how does a guy like this a man whose faith has clearly shaped his life pretty significantly in ways that are probably more integral than often I shape my own. How does this guy get to this place with his faith? And here's the comforting response to that. The same way you and I do. Disappointment, it comes to every human being at some point. Sometimes... It feels like a waterfall that's washing over you, and then other times it comes because of the constant drip, drip, drip of unanswered prayers, of perceived inaction. And in that moment, the constant is that you feel not a dissonance exclusively with God's plan, but eventually with God himself. And that pain that can be there, it shows itself in frustration, and really it takes shape in three questions that I think kind of dovetail John's response here. And we're gonna look at those together. Three questions that we often announce or at least feel when we feel disappointment with God. And here's the first question that we may find ourselves asking and it's, Jesus, don't you see the problem? I mean, John's like, hey, Jesus, I know you're doing a lot of things, but Herod's still on the throne. Systemic oppression because of living in an occupied land is continuing to persist. The wrongfully imprisoned are still in prison. What happened to this worldwide justice that was to come through the promised Messiah? And listen, these are real problems addressed in real passages of Scripture. And Jesus never dismisses them. Have you ever found yourself coming to Jesus with some real problems? And feeling like he doesn't understand where you're at. Because if he understood, what we mean by that is what we expect, if God really understood, what we expect from him is that he'll actually address the problem that's right in front of me. And when we don't experience God addressing the problem right in front of us at that particular moment in time, we begin to ask the question deep within our hearts, are you the one or should I look for someone else? 
Another question we may find ourselves asking when we are experiencing disappointment is, Jesus, why aren't you doing more now? This is a real time-based question. We find John here, and he's, he's wrestling with the realities of seeing Jesus wander around Galilee, and he's healing some people, but not everyone. And you can just imagine John saying, Jesus, why don't you bring a bigger response, right? If you, we see promises in scripture about how you're going to make the whole world right. You're going to bring cosmic renewal. All you have to do is say the word and you can bring extraordinary change and bring liberation for your people, Israel. What are you waiting for? It may be true, but why not now? Why isn't it bigger now? If you look across the, just the realities of our world today, it can be overwhelming to think about the extensive nature of evil, of brokenness and suffering. And when you start thinking about ways in which God might work through his church or even bring healing, it can feel paralyzing just how big it is. And then in the midst of this coronavirus situation in which we find ourselves on a global scale and it's becoming more escalated here in the United States, or you've experienced pain over a longer period of time, or death, or loss of any sort. In those moments, we start asking ourselves, when we really understand who Jesus is, but experience the brokenness of the world, not in the timeline we expected, we begin to ask, Jesus, how is this still happening? Come, Lord Jesus, quicker. You know, this timing piece is maybe one of the biggest obstacles and pain points for so many people in faith. Answering the question, when? When are you going to bring about the fullness of your promises? And when we have a timeline in our mind, and it doesn't, and we have these expectations, and it doesn't match up with what we experience, we once again ask, are you the one? Or should we go looking to another? Now, there's one more question, and it's, it's deeply embedded in John's story here. And it's the most personal, it's the most vulnerable, and it's this, when we're feeling disappointment, we can often ask the question, well, Jesus, what about me? What about me? Don't you feel that in John's uh, response here in the text? Jesus, no, no, I get, I get you're doing a lot of amazing things, but what about me in prison? Like, I'm the guy who baptized you. I'm the precursor. This isn't according to plan, and you have the power to actually release me from prison. So are you the one, or should I go looking for someone else. And John's, you know, John's disciples, they come back with Jesus's response to John and, and they help John sort some of this stuff out. But you can kind of imagine how this goes down. They're like, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. The good news is Jesus knows what he's doing. He's carrying out his role as Messiah. He really is the Messiah, John. The bad news is that he's not coming for you. You're going to stay in prison. And when we see Jesus doing truly astounding work in other people's lives around us, but we're not seeing our expectations experienced in our life, it's so easy to go into the comparison game. Oh, and that's a dangerous place to be, but it's a real place to be in the midst of our disappointments. When we say, someone else got the victory over cancer, why not me? What about me? 
Someone else finally found that Mr. or Mrs. Right for them. Why not me? I'm tired of this loneliness. Someone else finally got that job that they needed. Why not me? And in the midst of those areas of disappointment, the reason this is the hardest question is because what we're really wrestling with in that moment is why is God overlooking me? And it goes to the deepest part of our insecurities. Because then the old lie of the evil one sparks up in our minds and our hearts. And maybe we just think, even for just a moment, it's because we're not lovable. Jesus, what about me? Is there something wrong with me? And that's maybe one of the darkest places to be in the midst of disappointment. Where you find yourself asking, well, are you really the one to come? Or should I go to someone else? And when you're facing that level of disappointment, all we want are answers, right? We want answers, at least some kind of answer. You know, give me a window into your plan. Give me a little update on your timeline. Give me a reason why it's not me now. If you just give me a reason, I'll be okay. And we wrestle with this why of these unmet expectations. And when that happens, we start judging Jesus based upon our expectations of him. And what John is learning here, what Luke is inviting us to see is that Jesus doesn't always give us the answers we want. And sometimes he even allows us to sit in silence. And amidst of getting, not getting the answers we always expect or the answers we always want, here's what we do see. Jesus, he always, always fulfills his own expectations. Jesus always fulfills his own expectations, and they're always better than ours. He meets his own expectations. He knows who he's called to be. His plan is bigger, it's richer, and it is extravagant. And he always meets his expectations and what he's truly promised to do. And it's better than ours. And we see that when we get a look at Jesus' response here in the text. You see, when you get down to verse 21, we find Jesus' initial response to the question from John's disciples. They say, are you the one who is to come, or should we go looking for someone else? And notice here, Jesus doesn't shame the disciples or John for asking this question. Sometimes we look at what Jesus does, but we don't always see what he doesn't do. Instead, he honors this question, and he does give a clear and definitive answer, even if it's not the one John was looking for. And it's also really important to note that Jesus doesn't just come right out and say it. He does something definitive, which helps us now as the 21st century readers as well to have a good assessment and to engage in this conversation a little bit better. Jesus is so brilliant in the way he goes about answering our questions. And what do we see that Jesus does here in Luke chapter 7, verse 21? We read, In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. He does these extraordinary activities. And here, 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 this, this is unbelievable, because then what Jesus says after that to the disciples is he says, Now go tell John what you've seen and heard. And that is that everyone who comes to me with a prayer request, they will receive a yes. No, that's not what he says. Instead, he says, John, go back and tell John what you've seen and you're heard, that when, what you've heard. When they, people come to me, whatever their expectations they have of me, they will be met. 
No, that's also not what Jesus says. Instead, he says something truly astounding. And I love the way that Frederick Buechner um, paraphrases verses 22 and 23 in his little book, The Peculiar Treasures, uh, Biblical Who's Who. And he writes and paraphrases verses 22 and 23 this way. You go tell John what you've seen around here. Tell him there are people who have sold their eye-seeing dogs and taken up bird watching. Tell him there are people who've traded in aluminum walkers for hiking boots. Tell him the down and out have turned into the up and coming and a lot of deadbeats are living it up for the first time in their lives. And three cheers for the one who can swallow all of this without gagging. You see, Jesus, he's accomplishing what the prophets had proclaimed. Isaiah is rich with the prophecies of what this Messiah would do. And John sees a lot of what Jesus is doing and hears a lot of what Jesus is doing and says, yes, that is aligned with, with what the prophets have spoke, but there's a lot that Jesus isn't doing. And how Jesus is going about his messianic role and the timing of everything leaves John disappointed. And Jesus is saying in these two verses here, John, I haven't come to fix all of the political issues yet. I've come to restore a universe. John, I haven't come to abolish all suffering yet. First, I have to enter it, and I need to redeem it. And John, I'm not ignoring you. I'm saving you. You see, John, he had an imagination around what the Messiah was to do, that he was to come and actually bring God's kingdom to bear in a particular way such that there would be a revival in Israel. Malachi 3 brilliantly details this out, what the precursor, what the forerunner was to lay out. And then when there is this spiritual revival amongst the priests and the old worship of Israel, then God will come be among his people again. And when God is with his people, then no oppressor, is able to withstand the work of God through his people. And so Israel, like the glory days, would be restored and God would mete out his justice through his promised king and it would bring flourishing to God's world. The only problem is, is that Jesus wasn't going back. He's moving forward and his vision is bigger and it's more beautiful and it takes on a different timeline and it involves a cross and it involves suffering. You see, it includes not just Israel, but it includes the Gentiles. It doesn't just include those who are righteous, but it includes the prodigals. It doesn't just include them then, but us now and others to follow. It doesn't just include justice, as important as that is, but also grace, scandalous grace. And John was coming to terms with this. And you see God's purposes... They're just so much bigger than we can even fathom. And his plan is so much better than we can imagine. And this is what Luke is seeking to display, first in the gospel account of Luke, and then in his follow-up volume of Acts, that yes, if God will give his very son to die for the sins of the world, and then through his resurrection, go about bringing restoration to the world, if he will do that, he will not stop at giving us all things that he has indeed promised us in his perfect timing. That's the hope we have. It may not be in line with what we expect, when we expect it, and how we expect it to come about. But we're called to hope that if he will do that, how much more will he do everything that he's promised in his timing, in his ways? Now, I know 
because I know this in my own life, that hearing that in the midst of disappointment may not feel like enough. And Jesus knows that too, which is why he gives a profound blessing to those who don't stumble over his words here in verse 23. He says, blessed are those, right, who are not offended by me and what he's actually come to do and how he's come to do it. You see, in the midst of our disappointments, we can so often think that disappointments in and of themselves are this obstacle to faith. Not according to Jesus. They don't have to be. See, according to Jesus, disappointments can be an extraordinary invitation to know him better and to walk with him more intimately, which isn't that the best blessing of all? Isn't that returning back to the garden? Isn't that what we were designed for? Is to be people who know him for who he is and to trust him in the midst of mystery because of who he is, not because it's our plan. But that's not always how I see disappointment. But think about the stories of the people who have encouraged you most. In the moments of our greatest disappointments, those become the most defining moments of our lives. And also some of the greatest areas for impact this world over. You see, in our disappointments, we have a choice to make. And that's why I think we don't find out how John responds to Jesus' answer. Do you notice that in the text? It's so fascinating. John, we, we don't, don't hear how he actually receives the news. And I think that's because Luke is inviting us to put our place with John and to say, well, where are you going to land? How are you going to land? What choice are you going to make? And here's the choice. We can either, in the midst of our disappointments, come with our questions and trust Jesus with our suffering, or we can go looking for someone else. That's really the fork in the road. We can either let Jesus be who Jesus is and do the things that Jesus does, trusting that he always has our good purposes in mind, even if it doesn't make sense in the moment, even if it doesn't match our timeline, or we can go try looking for someone else. And hear me, Jesus will fail our expectations, but it's not because he's failed to be good. And if we go looking for someone else, we're never going to be satisfied as Patrick sang for us earlier. In the words of the apostle Peter, when Jesus looks at them in the gospel account of John, he says, are you gonna leave me too? And then what does Peter say? Where else can we go? Only you have the words of life. Disappointment can be a defining moment in your life and mine. And in a season like today, we definitely need to hear that. And I also want you to know, too, in the midst of this, Jesus will never dismiss your disappointments, your frustrations. Instead, he always will beckon us to trust him. It's fascinating that across the gospel accounts, what's Jesus' primary mode of engagement? But questions. Because he's always ready to listen, to engage, and then to call us to trust him. Now, I know as a pastoral staff, we've heard from a lot of you about the wrestlings of your disappointments and your pains. We've sat across the table and had coffee with you. We've heard you weep. We've prayed with you. And if we think about one dominating question that we're to walk away with this morning, it's this. Will you, will you choose to see Jesus as the one even when he doesn't meet your expectations? 
Will you choose to see Jesus as the one, the promised one, not one among many, but the one, even when he doesn't meet your expectations and whatever expectation that might be? You know, someone who I got to know who did that exact thing, who chose to see Jesus as the one, is Yong Kang. Yong um, was a participant in our downtown campus, and she passed away, as I mentioned, at the beginning of our time together. And as I was planning the memorial service with Paul and Michelle and with Hope, we started telling stories about Yong, who she is, and how we want to celebrate her life at the memorial service and what God was doing in and through her life. And in that moment, Hope, her daughter, said, you know, I had a conversation with Young more towards the end of her life and she said you know wouldn't it be an amazing story of God if you were healed and then she says you know what Young said in response she said whether I'm healed or not it will still be an amazing story of God and the reality is is it is an amazing story of God the way she encouraged so many in their faith that even in her disappointments, she held fast to Jesus and knew that he could work all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And while she is absent from the body and present with the Lord and we hold fast to the hope of the resurrection, may we be able to see that God is working, maybe not always in the ways that we think or imagine, but he's always working. Even if we can't feel it, even if we can't see it, he's still working. And frankly, I want to be that kind of person who leans more deeply into Jesus and disappointments. I want us as a church, we want us as a church to be a people who lean more deeply into to Jesus in the midst of our disappointments. Even if that job doesn't come through on the time you need it, that relationship never pans out. Someone else has kids and you've been trying to have kids for months and months and months. Whatever your area of disappointment, when your expectations don't match up with your experience, let's lean into Jesus. Let's together say he's the one. May we do so by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are on your throne. We declare your sovereignty, that by your power you became human, that you lived a perfect sinless life, died a sufficient death on the cross, three days later defeated the grave, rose again, and then a significant period of time later ascended to the right hand of God the Father and is seated on the throne where all authority in heaven and earth are given to you. We call on your name because of who you are. You're the one. We confess many times where our fear leads us to doubt. We confess the many ways in which we go chasing after others. And we rest in your forgiveness and your extended arms that are consistently always available to us. Lord Jesus, be with us now. And this time, 
wherever we're watching this, wherever we're experiencing this, whatever who's here with us in this space, God, may your presence be palpable. And in the midst of our expectations not being matched with our experience, may we surrender them to you and find a deeper joy than we can find anywhere else. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.